0: Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, I've preordained that he'll ponder whether he should brainstorm. It's Matt Morgan.
1: So Joey, why do you have to spell dark with a K and not a C?
0: uh because you can't see in the dark there it is you've graduated i'm so proud of you joey i have i know how to dad jokes i it's a blessing and a curse i don't know what to do with all this power <laughs> well i i would call you a dork
1: but you can't oh in the dark in the dark either you have to you're, <laughs> wow. you're dark okay
0: yeah he does there it is miss. there it is he does not miss, ladies and gents. All right, <laughs> up next, he's opted to consider a careful study. It's Dana Roach.
2: Um, why aren't snakes bothered if you cast a mind slicer? Uh goodness, why? They don't have any hands to discard. No, oh. I, 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 uh, <laughs> I guess. Here we are in
0: 2023, (laughs) Dana. You should become a welder because that was riveting.
2: (laughs) That that one delighted me, and I, I, I'm my. That's that's the audience I most aim to amuse.
0: Well, yes. <laughs> I'm sure all of our listeners are really glad to to hear that <laughs> anyway. This is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we like to do is give all of that data just a little more context. Matt? Matt? Do you mind telling us what it is that we're talking about in this week's episode? Well, I figured since we won't let you have any
1: segues this year, we may as well give you an episode to transition into talking about one of your favorite decks. So I believe you have queued up for us uh, Baba La Saga or excuse me, Baby Lasagna, not Baba La Saga. (laughs)
0: uh yeah we are finishing off our trio of episodes about some of our personal decks and how they differ from the data on edh and the interesting lessons that you can learn from you know closely examining decks and the you know what it says about the person who built it and we're on to mine now and we are talking about my gal baba Lasaga, or because her name looks really fun to, to me I, don't, I also say baby lasagna because i am 12 years old uh, so yeah we'll be talking about that Uh, for this episode and i'm pretty excited to talk about my wonderful wonderful night witch and how she eats all the things and make all my opponents lose life for it and uh, the lessons that hopefully are interesting to impart from the journey of building this deck but before we get into that topic we got some shout outs to do
2: first i'd like to thank chase also known as mana curves you can find them on twitter at mana curves and they are a ton of help in editing this show
0: Mm mm-hmm we're ecstatic to tell you that EDH Rec has also partnered with Coalesce Apparel and Design. Coalesce has an amazing line of magic-inspired apparel, and if you've ever wanted EDH Rec shirts or hoodies, you can now go browse the EDH Rec collection. Head to Coalesce and use code EDH Rec for 10% off your order. That's code EDH Rec. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking,
1: subscribing this video on YouTube, subscribing on your local podcast apps, or by going over to patreon.com slash edhretcast, where you have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. Whether you want to join the Discord community, you want to see all the episodes a day early, all that and more over at patreon.com slash edhretcast, including the weekly, the most coveted, tier of all the weekly shout out uh which we are going to give this week to hi huang so thank you so much hi we appreciate all of your support uh thank you for saying hi and we're gonna say hi right back (laughs) this week (laughs) in the shout nope you 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 couldn't
0: avoid it you softballed me that one and uh hi thank you so much for all of your support Uh, We appreciate all of our patrons so much, and we also appreciate that they put up with the fact that Matt also finds opportunities to make dad jokes out of every (laughs) Patreon shout out too, which is an art. I think they appreciate that you two put up with me, and that's what they appreciate. (laughs) Uh, Awesome stuff. Okay, let's get into the topic here. We are indeed talking about Baba La Saga, the Night Witch, and... uh, I, I I will try to refrain from always saying baby lasagna, but she's she's my baby. She's my baby and I absolutely love her. Um so I guess real quick I'll introduce what this commander is and then we can get talking about different lessons that were learned from the building of this deck but let's just set the stage real quick so I will dive right in here. I've talked about this commander a lot on this show but it's become I think my new signature deck. Babala Saga Nightwitch is a three mana Golgari three three human warlock that can tap to sacrifice up to three permanents and if there were three or more card types among the permanents that you sacrifice each opponent loses three life, you gain three life, and you draw three cards. And I love love this deck so much and Dana you're going to have to contain me a bit in this episode because I get really giggly when I talk about all the fun stuff that this <laughs> commander can do because it's a lot of fun um and I would I, I hope that you've enjoyed playing against it as I become a little chaos gremlin every time that I activate that stinking ability
2: <laughs> I mean th- there's never really any doubt about how much you enjoy this particular deck like you said it makes you giggle Like, like, I mean, it. it Like, like me delighting myself with my own jokes. This deck clearly delights you. It is you. You are the target audience for your own deck in this case, for sure.
0: Because is just so good because it's a sacrifice outlet in the command zone and like we've all seen how powerful sacrifice outlets are in this game right being able to do that at any time to put stuff into the graveyard and you draw cards for it and there are just so many fun synergies that i get to pull off with this deck by like turning things into lands and then they have multiple types and turning things into artifacts and i get to eat different creatures that will go and find me stuff when they die and i yeah it's just been a very 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 fun deck to morph into as the Golgaria player that I cannot help but be. Well, and the crazy part about it too is, in in a world in a format full of graveyard
1: synergies and sacrificing things, this deck stands out for you and and you're kind of known, not just on the show, but just in general as I like to sacrifice things. I like... It's like (laughs) me turning things sideways and Dana paying life to draw cards. Like, everybody has their own (laughs) little signature and somehow this baby... It's funny that you say baby lasagna because the art on the card is not young at all. It's very much (laughs) old, old hag energy there. But yes, somehow Babala Saga stands out among all of that just entire field for you specifically.
2: Yeah. And what's interesting with the deck and and the commander design too is a lot of times in sacrifice-based decks like this, you're very much encouraged to lean into kind of stacks-ish effects as, as your win condition hmm. because that's just how sacrifice decks work, right? When you are like losing some amount of permanence, the, the way you then want to win is to turn that into something advantageous for you. Except for this deck doesn't necessarily need you to do that because it's dealing damage to people and it's drawing you cards. It kind of has a baked in way to to still win with this deck and still play this deck without having to play stacks if you don't want to play it. Yes. Um, and that's that's it's nice to have that path to be able to play a deck like this and not have to follow that same route that you kind of usually oftentimes to expect to, to, to have to follow if you're playing some kind of a Golgari-based sacrifice deck.
0: Yeah, I don't need to have any of those Dictative Erebos kind of things to keep the field clear because especially with this, I might not even end up sacrificing a creature with Baba's ability at all. And it really forces me to be as diverse as possible with the different types of things that I am playing. With that said, a lot of the win conditions that do tend to appear in this deck are pretty classic aristocracy stuff. Poison tip archer, Sir Conrad, I do love you know, a whole lot of death means a whole lot of stuff that is going to hurt my opponent. So I'm not just relying upon Baba Lesaga's ability, but it is going to be a pretty familiar win condition for a lot of folks, um, with probably a little bit of landfall stuff thrown in there, because I will also eat my lands at a moment's notice. Uh, this used to be my Marin of Clan Neltoth deck, which did have more of the Dictative Erebo stuff going on there but that's actually a type of gameplay that I grew tired of pretty quickly and I wanted to uh, find something that was a little bit more proactive rather than just shutting down what my opponents were doing
2: so so when you turned this from Marin um, into baby lasagna like uh, how much of an overhaul did the deck have to do was a situation where like basically you just kept the mana base and changed out most of the cards or did a lot of this stuff carry over from the Marin deck. I,
0: well, actually, it's funny you mentioned the mana base because I think the mana base is one of the bigger things that changed because <laughs> sure. th- okay. because a lot of the stuff that I'll eat for this ability is stuff like Darksteel Citadels or Artifact Lands or Urza Saga, an enchantment and a land. Dryad Arbor, a creature that's also a land because Baba La Saga wants to eat things that have multiple types. If I animate a Mishra's Factory, and this is a synergy I've brought up on the show before, but like, hear me out, everyone. It's really cool. Like if you animate a Mishra's Factory, it is now a creature and artifact and a land. And Babala Saga can sacrifice just that one permanent, and that's three card types. And then my opponents lose stuff, and all I lost was one card there. So the mana base is actually I think, one of the bigger things that changed, because now it's serving an entirely new purpose. My mana base is also part of like one of the biggest pieces of fodder that I end up chucking at my opponents as I eat all of that stuff.
1: Yeah, the, the cool thing, and Dana kind of hinted at that, is everything that you're doing with the deck... It, it doesn't feel oppressive mm. but it does feel unavoidable or, or inevitable it's, it's very much a Thanos like I am inevitable energy <laughs> of not, nothing you're doing like it nobody ever feels you can't interact with it because everything's on the board but you're doing these things that you're gonna find a way to to, to get your value one way or another and and that's the the cool thing about it is you're finding different ways to add types of two cards you're you're doing a lot of artifact lands you're doing a lot of artifact creatures Mm. and all these different ways that you're you're finding ways to maximize the value it's a very creative way and you're just taking advantage of just scryfall searches as far as i can tell
0: yeah oh scryfall was a huge help in finding things that were multi-types so ashaya can turn things into lands was a super big help my favorite cards like, ever right now, like, Liquid Metal Torque is one of my favorite cards, just sort of at all, (laughs) but it's even better here, because I can turn things into artifacts for the purpose of eating them, and so that, I'm also gonna play Liquid Metal Coding in this deck for the exact same reason, and it's fun to turn things into enchantment and also artifacts, and then eat them, and it's great. And so anything multi-typed or that can change types, those are definitely things that I loved paying attention to. And especially anything that repeatedly comes back on its own, like the card Rancor, or Aspect of Mongoose. Those are enchantments that when they die, they will go back to my hand. And then Baby Baba's over here like, cool, I'm a snack on this multiple times over the course of this game then. And that's very, very annoying to everyone. I would apologize, but actually, sorry, not sorry.
1: I mean, putting putting Rancor into a deck, I'm never going to fall to Trample, on a keyword, <laughs> sign me up.
2: Well, one of the things I kind of mentioned a little bit when we did my show was how I had the basic idea, but it wasn't until I actually played the deck I realized how effective things like the, the pseudo ward that are granted would be to let me play kind of fairly aggro early on with my commanders because they had built-in protection. Hmm. Are, are there any things you discovered from this deck? So like clearly you saw Babalazaga Laza- Baba and you were like, oh, well, this is going to be, I, I can turn Marin into this. Um, and I'm clearly had an idea how it would work, but are there things that you discovered about how the deck played that you didn't really realize until you actually like built it and got to play it, and you was like, oh, this thing works really good in a way I really wasn't expecting.
0: I would say that the biggest hurdle that I had to learn with this deck is not to run stuff that costs like six or seven mana, uh, because I, it turns out, am very ruthless. Like I want to hit this ability every single turn, and that's not always super easy. Uh, even if I am sacrificing just one thing, like just one Mishra's Factory, I'm still setting myself behind on at least one of my resources. Like, I will eat my lands to get this ability because I want to draw those cards. Like, I, you cannot hold me back. I am drawing those cards. But that often means that I'm usually getting to, like, turn seven or eight with only, like, three or four lands in play. so uh one of the bigger things that I had to work around was certainly finding a a lot of the deck has to be like way way lower on the mana curve and that is definitely a different cadence than what I was used to when I was playing a Marin deck uh, where I would intentionally be running a whole bunch of seven or eight drops that I wanted to revive multiple times this one is much more focused low to the ground and so figuring out how it is that I'm going to make it into the late game with enough resources to keep playing and eating stuff was a big big hurdle and that changed Changes a lot of the stuff that I wanted to play. Like one of my favorite board wipes ever is Deadly Tempest, which is a six mana board wipe destroys all the creatures and then everyone loses life for each creature they lost. I really like that card. I would almost never have six mana to actually be able to cast that card when I needed to cast that card because I ate a whole bunch of lands. So the value of being able to revive a bunch of lands from my graveyard definitely went way, way up so that I could actually make it into the late game in the first place. So what's a good question, I guess, then that we that
1: I mean, I always like to ask, what is your favorite win condition in this? So we we talked offline, we've talked online, we've talked on stream that you you like that the deck can deal damage, but you don't have a really good way of, of gunning down one person. What is your favorite win condition in the deck?
0: I am probably like, I don't know if this falls into pet card territory. It may, it may not. But I was always looking for a deck, and Matt, you'll love this, that would play Blossoming Bog Beast. Okay. So Blossoming Bog Beast is a little bit like a Pathbreaker Ibex, but also not. It's Pathbreaker Ibex for life gain. Adjacent. Adjacent. Yeah. Like when it attacks, you gain two life, and then all of your creatures get, however, they get a plus for however many life points you've gained that turn, and they get trample. And I was just like, Okay, I kind of want to do that a lot, actually, because Baba gives me three life, and I can turn that with the Blossoming Boggies into, like, a plus five, and that that is really cool. But then, one of these days, I also uh, paired that up with a Zurin Orb, uh, because I have some sacrifice synergies going on in this deck, and Zurin Orb, you can sacrifice a land to gain two life. Ah, uh, yes. So, I really, really enjoy having a Zurin Orb and a Blossoming Bog Beast in play with just a couple of other tokens, and... um yeah, I'll eat all of my lands, sacrifice every single one of them, gain ten life or something like that, attack with Blossoming Bog Beast, and uh, suddenly all of my creatures get a plus twelve and trample. It's it's the closest I ever come to doing the Matt Morgan signature swing style, and that's that is really fun. Again, there's trample in the the text there, so I
1: I am one hundred percent on board with that. But <laughs> but yeah, I I have been. I, I I don't believe I was on the receiving end, but I saw it happen of you doing this, and this definitely inspired a little bit of hope in my in my heart for blossoming bog beast. That card does a whole lot of work, and and yeah, you are so reliably able to get five life pretty much every single turn whenever you attack with bog beast because. Between Lasaga and, and Bog Beast itself gaining life, mm-hmm. it's very, very easy just to have this be a Beastmaster ascension on a stick. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. I'd also say another fun win condition I've really enjoyed is Marionette Master, which I think we're probably all familiar with. Marionette Master, it has that fabricate ability. You can put plus one counters on it, or you can make servos. And when your artifacts die, you can start dealing damage based on Marionette Master's power. And, and that's really fun and all, but I love pairing that one with a Mazarek Crawl Death Priest, where it gives plus some encounters out whenever you sacrifice stuff and just pumping up the marionette master even more. And then having Baba sacrifice a bunch of stuff willy nilly to have marionette master, just start mowing people's life totals down. That is also, I really like that too. That's another fun moment for me, not for anyone else, but
2: definitely for me. Well, in those two cards working together too, it's one of those things that it's not the kind of interaction slash combo thing that, Most people think about when they think about things to be afraid of in a deck. So it's probably very easy to catch folks off guard with that combination as well
0: yeah that's a really good point like i think the primary way that you would expect this deck to win all of its games is very much through the aristocracy stuff that we're all used to but just eating things isn't the only way that i hope this deck can win like mazarek on its own can also pump up the entire board to get really really big having the ability to shift into combat as a plan b i found it to be extremely extremely helpful for this type of deck because dealing aoe damage dealing just aristocracy damage yeah that's that's good but i think a lot of of people know how to shut it down they know what to expect from there so it's nice to have another thing that you can move into as a backup for that and that's been an important lesson in switching this deck over because like i tell you what my marin deck never had that ability but it's nice to see that baba has a little bit more diversity in terms of which win conditions i can realistically pull off
2: so one of the first cards i i i think of when i think of this deck um is ugin's nexus because that's <laughs> one of those cards i've always tried to find a deck for and like, like, it's the it's the perfect deck for Ugin's Nexus. <laughs> um, and, and for those who don't know, because it's been quite a few years since this card came out, um, it's a 5-mana Legendary Artifact. If a player would begin an extra turn, that player skips that turn instead, which is, I guess, fairly useful. But if Ugin's Nexus is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, instead of exile and take an extra turn after this one. So it's something that you can sacrifice to your commander as part of your, your draw three, gain three, dome people for three. And then you get an extra turn off of that thing. You that get you were an extra doing. turn. Yep. That's and, and you have the sack outlet for it right there in the command zone. Mm-hmm. That's just ridiculous. This is like I it said, it's 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 the kind of card I've always kind of been looking for a deck that wants it, and this is just the perfect deck for it.
1: I mean, I'm going to steal credit for this one, actually, Dana, because I have this, my my Vivictus Asmati, the Dire deck, when I get to basically Chaos Warp something every single turn. Yes. Uh, This is fantastic, but I'm so glad and I heartily approve of you throwing this
0: into bablo saga joey this is i i love this card i was gonna say full credit to your Victus deck i learned it from watching you because you would <laughs> well, well good son you learned it from watching dad no no just dad jokes we're not dad no 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 it's just i don't make it weird no it's <laughs> too late it. it's already weird it's been weird just admit it
2: <laughs> just embrace the weird
0: <laughs> that is, that should be our tagline for this show, absolutely. right? Right, probably. B- but yeah, Ugin's Nexus is another one of those cards that absolutely surprises people. They're like, "Oh, wait a second, that does what now?" And those are those are fun moments to elicit from an unsuspecting
2: opponent. Um, Joy, do, do you know who Dean Kamen is? Uh, no. So he's an engineer that in that kind of is credited with inventing the Segway scooter. And in his honor, I thought this would be a good time to Segway into <laughs> challenge the stats wow
0: wow you really,
2: <laughs> you really went there <laughs> i'm gonna want to do that one for a while
0: wow okay well here i was thought thought we were having a nice time but instead dana's <sighs> just like what if i stole all the segues to <laughs> right. all i right, didn't know fine. what was yeah. going
1: on at all and <laughs> i'm just i'm oh my gosh
0: thank yeah. you thank you dana well, yeah, well, I I guess, yeah, we can stop talking about m- me and my deck for a little while. We'll, we'll get to some more of your nitty gritty questions later on in the show. But sure, fine. Let's move to challenge the stats, I guess, because Dana's a genius. <laughs> Listeners, we'll be right back with some challenges and uh, I'm going to go evaluate some life choices. It's not even a real person, is it? <laughs>
1: Well, I'll Dean came in my way into this first <laughs> pick right here. Um, so, for those of you who are have friends that are buying these uh, starter commander decks, they're a great tool to get help get folks into the format. It's not a super overwhelming deck. A lot of them they've got some fun play to them, and there's definitely ways to customize. But there are some challenges there that I, I do want to make. Even though, like I said, they're great tools to help get folks into the format. And one card that I, I absolutely love for Amara, Soul of the Accord, is the types of cards that give you free ways to tap and free, but also repeatable ways to get creature or to get Amara tapped. One of those things that I love that I had a lot of success with when my Miri Weatherlight Duelist deck was all about getting creatures tapped was cards like Sentinel Stalwart. So, Sentinel Stalwart is a a single green mana. It says, tap an untapped creature or artifact you control and add one mana of any color, and you have to tap Stalwart as well. So, this keys in on Amara Soul of the Accord's ability to whenever Amara becomes tapped, you create a 1-1 white soldier creature token with lifelink, this is just such an easy way to get Amara tapped, start making tokens, but also you're generating mana. You're not doing something like with Glare of Subdual, where you're kind of doing a more defensive thing where you're tapping, you're tapping a creature you control to tap an artifact or a creature. This is a way to go about getting creatures tapped, but also you're generating resources and generating mana while you're doing it. And that's such a great thing because you don't want to spend all your time kind of spinning wheels getting things tapped for minimal payoff cards like sentinel stalwart and there's several of these out there there's stuff like Springleaf drum as well they're just great little not filler cards but great ways to make sure that you're not sidetracking yourself with the getting amara tapped ability but also you're advancing your own game plan and you're you're not going too far out of your way to do that and get those bonuses so It's very, very easy, I feel, to overlook a lot of the cards like Sentinel, Stalwart, Springleaf Drum, all of that that get your creatures tapped, but also are generating mana for yourself. So I just want to make sure that folks know if you need just a a three cent card to throw in there and help get bonuses for Amara, Sentinel, Stalwart and the like are just great ways to go about doing that. You're playing a lot of creatures anyways in these decks, uh, so, so leaning into creatures to
0: do it is just a great way to go. Nice one. I am going to move to my challenge now, and I have an interesting little number here called Bequeathal that I would like to challenge. Um, currently only showing up in about 2200 decks or so. Bequeathal is a one mana green aura. When the enchanted creature dies, you draw two cards. It's a pretty innocuous little piece of work here, but I think this can actually pull a a pretty decent amount of work in some certain decks. It's currently seeing the most play in a couple of Gruul Commanders like Stang, Echo Warrior, or Kaima the Fractured Calm. Stang, for example, would duplicate the aura and then sacrifice it, so then you're going to get that draw trigger pretty reliably with Stang, and that's very cool, but I think this might also be a nice piece for decks that care about auras like Mazzy, True Sword Paladin, or Ivy gleeful spell thief to repeatedly put onto enemy creatures or to copy with ivy's ability things like that i i almost wonder i almost want to say this i don't know like this could even this is a tough thing to say this could even like potentially be decent in moldrotha decks but like the issue with saying that is that everything's good in Muldrotha decks, <laughs> and there's like 10,000 Muldrotha decks, but like, this is a nice, recurrable enchantment for Muldrotha too, but again, like, Muldrotha, everything's good in Muldrotha, right? So like, what would you got to even play this? But I don't know. I just find myself very charmed by this little one-mana enchantment that will give you card advantage when the enchanted creature dies. There are a lot of commanders that play around in the aura area that I think would make great use of this little thing. It's some pretty nice card advantage, all things considered. All right, that is it from me. Dana, I guess we'll segue on to you. <laughs>
2: um, my challenge this week was sent to us by a listener at Chittering Druid on Twitter. And the card in question is Via Shino Heretic, which is a pretty good card in general that probably should see more play. In particular, Chittering Druid is suggesting it for Neheb the Eternal decks. Uh, Vishnu Heretic is two in a red, and it has a one in a red activated ability where you tap it and destroy target artifact, and it deals damage to that artifact's controller equal to the artifact's mana value. Um, specifically, the reason he likes it in the Heb decks is the way the Heb works, you add red mana to your mana pool equal to the amount of life your opponents have lost during your, your second main phase. So you oftentimes have a ton of mana to burn, um, this gives you one outlet for it. Destroy something your opponent's control to deal additional damage to them. Basically, you can use the mana during their your, your end stat, excuse me, during your second main phase to activate the ability. Or if you just don't have a way to poke damage through on somebody in your first main phase, you can use this to destroy an artifact and deal damage to them as well to get red mana in your second main phase. It's just very useful in general, but in an ahead deck. The ability to use it either way, either as a mana sink or a way to generate the damage to to get that mana, um, is really, really useful. It's only in 10% of the HEB decks. I fully agree. It should see more play there for sure. It's an excellent card.
1: Yeah, mana sinks are always a nice way just to spend
0: excess mana, and, and this is a good version of that. So, yeah, that's a good call.
2: Yeah, very nice.
0: Okay, we can move back to talking about the Babala Saga now, Um, but I don't know, Dana has clearly shown that he's one of the most unpredictable (laughs) monsters in the world, so I don't know where this conversation's about to go next, but (laughs) bring it, Dana. This is a deck
2: we have to play against, you know, on stream uh, uh, on occasion. Um, Have to. It would be nice to know what the biggest weaknesses are at the deck, you know, just so we can help shore them up for you, maybe offer some suggestions. Sure.
0: It's a completely innocent question. I'm sure. No, this is not I think, self-serving. Yeah, not at all. Th- this I think is actually one of the bigger lessons that I think would be most uh, interesting for listeners to take away from this deck uh, because I think I mentioned it before, but like it is not uncommon for me to get to a late turn and for me to have only like three lands in play because I have been eating all of my lands, just all of them. Uh, And if I don't find some type of Splendid Reclamation effect or a World Shaper effect to bring all of my dead lands back into play so that I can actually play stuff in the late game, like, yeah, this deck has a very strong beginning because if I activate that ability once, twice, I've drawn six cards, I've gained six life, everyone is down to 34 life. It is a very big-looking beginning, but I am certainly paying the price of longevity in order to, to get there. So finding a way to actually get the longevity for this deck is definitely a problem. And not only, only that, but like a lot of the cards that I do have in the deck are down in the like three mana or less range. So I don't tend to have too many late game powerhouses either because I, I, can't play them very much if just given the way that the mana curve tends to go so the late game finishing is definitely a weakness of the deck i need to figure out a way for it to have a bit more late game punch because it tends to be pretty bombastic early but then gradual after that it has some diminishing returns that i need to fight through
2: yeah one thing i've noticed about this deck and 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 i have the same problem with with my jihira asian iron throne deck that that deals damage to everyone based on a you know a thing i've done as well is there's a lot of splash damage that you kind of can't control (laughs) Um, and, and, Uh, and, and what i mean by that is like you'll find yourself in a situation where somebody else is ahead of the table and you don't necessarily want to take out the other two people because you kind of need them to mm-hmm. either help take out the person who's leading or at the very least draw attention away from you. Yeah. But you, you can't really control <laughs> that, right? Like, like if you were going to do your thing, it's dealing damage to everyone, whether or not there's someone you want to keep around or not. So uh-huh. yeah, that, I, I think that's probably a tricky thing here as well.
0: Oh, you have. Yes, you have hit upon. And this is a deeply apolitical deck, which is a shame because I want to be political with like one of my favorite things to do. Like Matt, let's say that Matt is casting a reclamation sage and I have a liquid metal Torque in play like I can turn anything into an artifact so Matt can kill anything he wants. And those are the types of political shenanigans that I dream of. And it's so much fun on the very rare occasion that I get to pull off something like that. But no, you're absolutely right. Most of the time I cannot move an inch without accidentally hurting every single person at the table. And that means that most of the time, those folks don't want to do a politic with me <laughs> because ow! <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If if someone's got a hundred life and everyone else is at three, well, if I want to try and draw cards to take down the person who's at 100 life, I will lose my allies because if I so much as budge, then my poison departure is going to finish them off. My La Saga will finish. The, like, yeah, politicking is another very deep weakness of this deck.
1: Yeah, like I said, the, like I mentioned earlier, having so much inevitability, like you're going to take three damage pretty much every turn once Baba lands. So you may as well just get prepared for it because uh, Joey's going to do Joey things. So speaking then of things that Joey do, we're looking at some of these cards that you are and are not playing compared to the typical deck. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you have 31 cards unique to your La Saga deck Mm. compared to the average list on EDH rec. So some of these cards that you're not playing... I, man, it's kind of hard to, to to wonder. So you're not playing Life from the Loam. You're not playing Gloom Shriek or two cards that seem to be a lot of play in Babila Saga decks, but also Demonic Lore is another big one any insights on some of the cards you decided not to put in from the average deck?
0: Yeah, I so Demonic Lore, that one and also sort of related to it, Treacherous Blessing is another one. Those mm-hmm. cards I have the easiest answer for. Uh, when those enter, you draw a bunch of cards and then they have some negative downsides, like the Demonic Lore would say at the beginning of your end step you lose two life for each card in your hand. Well, I mean, you can just play Demonic Lore, sacrifice it to Babala Saga, and then boom, you don't have the downside and you got three free cards. That's way awesome. The thing that I've noticed Noticed is that I'm terrified of ever playing that card if I don't have my Baba La Saga in play, <laughs> um, and I and since also she draws so many cards on her own anyway, that tends not to be a huge necessity for me. Um, Life from the Loam, I would also probably categorize as that. Like, yeah, I eat a whole lot of my lands, but I tend to find a whole lot of them because of just how many cards I am drawing. Uh, so that doesn't, the the card advantage the commander kind of (laughs) handles all on its own. So I think that's the biggest answer that I've got for you. Gloom Shrieker, I think I, that one, this one's a petty reason. Gloom Shrieker only gets back permanence. Like it is an enchantment and a creature, but it doesn't give me back spells the way that a regular Eternal Witness would. Mm -hmm. I think that I'm just being, I probably should play it. But I think I'm just petty because, like, if I want to get back a spell, I want to get back a spell. <laughs> so, like, that one's that one's just me being a little bit petty, uh, <laughs> which probably isn't a good reason because so much of this deck is artifacts and enchantments and lands and, and different permanents still. But, like, I don't know. I just, that one's probably just, uh, it might be a habit holdover from my Marin days is actually, I think, the answer to the Gloomshaker one. But the others, I feel like I've got a good reason.
1: Well, and, and with Gloomshaker 2... Exiling itself instead of dying, I feel like that's probably a little bit of a knock against it too, especially with how many times and how many different ways you have to recur. Mm different cards in the deck i bet that's probably a non-factor correct me if i'm wrong there yeah uh as to why that specific card is also getting cut
0: no that's a good point that does i i don't have a bunch of reanimation the way that i do with so many of my other decks but i do have some and i do yeah there are little reasons that i look at gloomshirk and i just resent it a little bit but with that said it is still like i totally get why people are playing that
2: one for sure so this is kind of a general question about about cards you're not running um, is this deck you found trickier than the average deck to kind of balance and make those cuts? Because, okay, so so let's take your kind of average Golgari deck or whatever it is. You're, of course, going to want to have X amount of draw spells and, and some amount of removal and some amount of board wipes and some amount of like creatures and in, in some amount of win conditions and whatever. But this is also a deck where, in addition to all of the normal things that you try to balance when you brew a deck you probably also want to make sure you have a relatively even distribution of artifacts and, and enchantments and creatures and like oh, so, yes. so you can have three of those things and, and you can definitely double that up uh, you know an artifact creature and then you know artifact land whatever um but i feel like this would be much trickier than your average deck to 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 have to make those moves and i'm wondering are some of the things you're not running things you're not running because you're like I I can only run so many of this card type and I need to run this thing that's maybe worse, but it also like checks some boxes. Is that something you encounter? Very. That, yes. That part, yes. Uh, yeah, Uh Trying to keep an even
0: spread on the card types is the hardest part to juggle, but it is interesting to juggle those two different things at once, having a good distribution of removal and win conditions, and also a good distribution of stuff that I can eat. Um, the trickiest part of the stuff that I can eat for sure is the enchantment loadout, because there are a lot, and I mean a lot, of artifact creature crossovers, but there aren't as many enchantment creature crossovers. Like, I find with this deck, it's very, very easy to have a random creature to sacrifice. And if I, like a Memnite or an Ornithopter, boom, a zero mana artifact creature, that's two of my types. And then I'll just need, like, an enchantment or a land that I can have as the other thing to follow up to that, and I feel completely set in the, the Baba Potion Feast that is about to happen. But there aren't as many... Like there's only one enchantment land that I know of, for example, and that's Urza Saga. So this is very much a deck where if I make a change in the artifacts, well, how am I going to make up for that? Like if I I change the number of enchantments that I've got, that could actually be detrimental to my ability to play the deck because then I'm forcing myself to always eat my lands. And my first drafts of the deck didn't have a whole lot of enchantments at all because I wanted to lean even more to some artifact sac synergies. And uh, yeah, I I was always eating my lands, and sometimes it's nice to have the option not to have to always eat all of my mana resources. So the th- the short answer is yes. Uh, the long answer is yes.
2: <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, because like, there's a lot of great cards that I feel like would be good in this deck. But like looking at the some of the list of, of ones you're not playing or that you move over to your sideboard, I I, I that's the first thing that made me wonder. Is, like I wonder how much that is just a balancing issue versus the card. The card's probably good but there's just some some other considerations beyond whether or not it's good for this particular deck.
0: Yeah. Another thing that definitely comes up with this one as well is understanding the actual realistic timing of when I'm going to activate Babala Saga's ability. So, for example, there are some cards like Witch of the Moors or Silver Smote Ghoul, where those have triggers at the beginning of your end step. If you've gained life this turn, then they have some awesome benefits for you, like the Silver Smote Ghoul can come back for you. And that's really cool, but they only trigger on your own end step, and I kind of prefer to sandbag this ability a little bit. I want to be able to activate Baba at instant speed at the end of the turn before mine, for example, which means a Witch of the Moors or a Silver Smote wouldn't trigger at all. And that just makes... Like, those cards would force me to always use this ability on my own turn, and I don't always want to use it on my own turn. Sometimes I want to evaluate a little bit to see what it is that I might need to eat in case there's a creature that I need to stick around or an artifact that I'm going to want to keep in play based off of something that Matt did, for example. So those are some other choices that I've made just in terms of not only the card types of the deck but also the way that the timing of these abilities all tend to line up and that is one of those things that i only could learn by actually getting some reps in with the deck but they've been really important lessons for me to take away so
1: joy every, everybody has like like we've talked about pet cards cards that you love to run what's a card maybe that's overperformed in this deck that you didn't expect a whole lot from but has kind of blown you away with how well it's been working out Ooh, sort of a pet card you say it doesn't have to be a pet card i mean, think so kind of in that ilk but what's just something that has uh, surprised you with how well it's been that you came out of the blue to to surprise you with.
0: So I I mean in terms of pet cards like some of the win conditions that I chose for this deck like Titania or Mazarek those are some of my favorite pet cards but they also were very very good for this deck because I'm sacrificing a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. and so I might as well pump up my team as as benefits for that and they definitely definitely impress impress me. I really like those but like i think if i had to go with like an underdog i didn't expect to love as much as i i do is actually the card restore which is a two mana green sorcery that takes any land from any graveyard and puts it onto the battlefield under your control (laughs) This hasn't historically been a very good card, but like, (laughs) I I like stealing your utility lands because I don't have a lot in my own deck because I can't afford to run them because I have to run so many. These lands are also artifacts or this land is also an enchantment and stuff like that. Um, But I don't know. Restore has been kind of an MVP as a small way to be like, all right, I ate my Mishra's factory already. Let's get it back and then eat it all over again so that I can activate that that Baba ability with just that one thing. So yeah, um, that one has been fun and occasionally it's kind of nice if someone happens. To get milled or some other stuff died, it's kind of nice to seal someone else's cabal coffers. Uh, it, sure, I, I guess. Uh, the commander staple
1: that everyone's heard of Restore, obviously, yes. <laughs> uh, such a great card i mean it's it's funny how all three of us have found these random cards like uncommons that nobody gives two hoots about and we found these decks that just absolutely just thunder (laughs) in the right situation
0: yeah they're they're very fun i'll also give some mvp shout outs to cards like instill energy which allow you to untap babala saga to use it multiple times a turn which is hard to activate her multiple times a turn actually because then you're eating a lot of stuff but it's still great. And I also really like Kaya's ghost form as well, which is a one mana, black aura, enchant a creature or a Planeswark you control. And when that permanent dies or gets put into exile, you return it back to the battlefield under your control. So I can eat the Kaya's ghost form and the creature that it's attached to. And that creature will come back. And that covers some types. And like Baba can eat herself and then come back right again for the feast. And this is also just good protection against like a path to exile or stuff like that. And for a little one mana common, I'm, I'm also very impressed by the amount of work that Kaia's ghost form can do.
1: Cosine, I, I I enjoy Kai's Ghost Form a bit.
2: Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, just a good card in general, and the fact that it has so much added synergy in this deck is ridiculous.
0: I feel like Matt was asking me that question because he wanted me to talk about how good Arachnogenesis is, and that's why it's in my deck. <laughs> that, it's, it's also kind of hard for me to say that a
1: nearly $40 card <laughs> <Yeah>. overperforms <laughs> in a deck, though, because... Yes, it is the best fog of all time and just one of my favorite cards of all time because you can just pocket sand somebody. <laughs> um but it's it's hard to say a card like that. It, oh yes, the card that consistently overperforms. Yes, I would say
0: Cyclonic Rift has right. exceeded expectations. No, nobody does that. Yeah, no, I, I would say a lot of the stuff that is impressed, even even like little cards like Viridian Emissary or Primal Druid. Mm-hmm. Like those are creatures that when they die, they go find me a basic land. Like some of the genuine MVPs in this deck are my commons, not even the rares. Like this is a deck that cares a lot about those things that are a little bit. Low to the ground. And that's another, I don't know, that's been a fun takeaway for me is that sometimes I don't play tutors in this deck, but if I did have any tutors in this deck, I bet some of the cards that I find first and foremost would be those little one mana, little ankle biter type of cards, because that's how important they are to this strategy. So, it, you know, it's not all about the big and the splashy stuff. The actual core of the deck is full of a bunch of low to the ground kind of things. And that's a very important thing to keep in mind when we're playing the format that's all about the stuff that is always big and splashy.
1: Yeah, ha- having cards that replace themselves seems very important and valuable for this type of deck, yes.
0: Now, I'm kind of curious to hear from each of you guys, like, when we interrogated Matt's deck and when we interrogated Dana's deck, we made suggestions for different things that maybe those uh, players would want to try out in, in their decks, Um have y'all done the same for me? Are there some critiques of my
2: deck? But you you cards that you think I ought to give a second look? Um so the the one that that kind of popped up at me when I was looking through your list. Um and it's it's a card I'm a fan of in general, but this feels like, like it's a it's good in a lot of decks, and that's prototype portal. Um four mana and, and you imprint an artifact on a prototype portal, and then you can tap it. And spend mana equal to the imprinted things mana value and make a token copy of that. Um, it, it's a fun card to use in a deck where you're running artifact lands anyway, because the kind of the dream is to put a, a Dark Soul Citadel underneath it and then every turn just ramp out a Dark Soul Citadel <laughs> for zero mana. Um, but Amazing. In this particular deck, you have already have five artifact lands. So there's a decent chance you can put any of them underneath it and that's going to give you something you can sacrifice that's already going to hit two of the three checkboxes you want um, to sacrifice your commander but like even if you don't have one of those lands you've got you know three or four zero drop artifacts in here you know I think three one drop artifacts in here two or three one drop artifacts like there's if you if you have to resign yourself to putting a soul ring <laughs> underneath <the> prototype portal, <laughs> like that's pretty good. Even if you're not going to sacrifice those soul rings, so, so I just feel like this deck has a lot of stuff that will be pretty decent to put on a prototype portal and uh, get some value off it, and then have it be available to sacrifice. Even if you don't happen to hit a land, and if you hit a land, that's fantastic. So I, I, this is a deck I think uh, that would actually really excel with that with that kind of card. And you usually don't expect to see that in a Golgari deck anyway. So that's one I might like want to see you give a, give a, a test to. Wow, I'm about to make so
0: many treasure vaults. You have no idea, right? Exactly. The number, exactly. The number of ornithopters will be too dang high. <laughs> that is like oh, gross. That that's a very interesting suggestion. I yeah, more stuff to eat. Okay, mm, yeah, I am
2: doing me a think. I'm doing me a think. How about you, Matt? What's your what's your suggestion here?
1: So I've been kind of brainstorming. The more that I think about it, there there are cards that I would love, and I would probably put in my own version because stuff like even- <laughs> Real dorky stuff like Suchi Caveguard from Brothers War, <laughs> and mostly because when you. It's when, not a real card. You just made that up. It, it is, actually. It is. Uh, so it, inspired by Suchi, the, like the old antiquities card. But the Caveguard, when it dies, you get eight colorless mana and it doesn't empty as phases end. Like something like that. Like that seems hilarious for an artifact creature to sacrifice and propel you forward. But I also understand with this deck setup, Joy, like you said, you're not going to get a whole lot of land. So stuff like Field of the Dead that you're not playing, you're never going to have Field of the Dead turned online anyways. So mm. why even try? So the card that I really, I'm torn between two cards. One is Scrap Trawler, but everything is so low to the ground. I'm not sure how much value you would get Sure. and also how, how long it would stick around. But I, I think Scrap Trawler would be fantastic here. But the card I really want to challenge is a card that we talked about for my deck that I've love 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 in my raga draga deck which is lanowar loam speaker Hmm. Uh, so that's the card that it's a mana dork by itself it's a one three that can add a mana of any color but you can tap it to animate a creature and have target or excuse me animate a land turn it into a three three uh, elemental creature with haste until end of turn and it still is a land so you're able to turn some of these uh, your your tree of tails that's normally a artifact and a land turn it into a creature so you're back to that synergy that you love so much in this deck where you're only sacrificing one permanent but you're getting all three permanent types checked off from just one one card so Stuff like that, I think, is fantastic. Plus, I mean, surprise blockers. There's all sorts of different synergies. You're playing a Ashaya, Soul of the Wild, to kind of do the reverse of this. But I think being able to animate any given land, especially if you're playing uh, the, the artifact's land that is indestructible. Uh, Dark Moss Bridge, that's the one I was thinking of. Uh, you get an indestructible 3-3 blocker. That's fine right there. Same with Dark Steel Citadel. So there's a lot of different fun synergies you can weave in and out with Llanowar loam speaker. I think I think I shouldn't be telling you this actually because you're just going <laughs> to use it against me if you decide to put it in your deck. But I I love Land War loam speaker. I have a feeling this deck might maybe perhaps
0: enjoy it too. I learned it from watching you again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. There it is. Yeah. Well, and that's the the animating of lands is certainly a signature aspect of this deck. And the eating of lands is definitely a thing I do a whole lot. And I think that that is also one other lesson that I I... I that that has been a bigger thing for me to learn with this deck with playing any aristocrats deck but especially this one because like i feel like a thing that i've learned about this one is to just play it ruthlessly like or or, or even if i don't want to say it ruthlessly like be willing to take a leap of faith with this kind of thing because i will frequently sacrifice a bunch of things and i'm not necessarily always certain if i'm like i'm gonna eat a whole bunch of lands whether or not i know if i'm going to get a world shaper to bring those lands back to the battlefield but the only way that you'll draw down to find cards that are good cards that will help you recover is if you start eating all of those lands in the first place so this is very much a deck where i feel like it's important to actually like be willing to try something a little bit risky this is a, a strategy that it reminds me a bit of like the decks that play with life loss like my old greven deck for example which the more life that you lose the more powerful this thing becomes i also feel that way about this the more stuff that you're willing to eat the better off your late game is going to be when you can finally find a way to bring a lot of those things back but you have to be willing to actually do those sacrifices in the early stages before you know what the end game is going to look like and so yeah if you're playing this deck don't be too cautious with it take a lot of risks i think that's an important lesson for commander players to to take away because a lot of the decks that we tend to see out there a lot of the value engines play it a little bit more safe they know exactly what type of value engine that they're going to do and they don't want to lose all of their stuff but this is a deck where you should be willing to lose your stuff in order to make big plays later on and yeah that's just a lesson that i hope is is useful for folks out there
1: yeah it's it's having a way to do the fun things and and Take risks. That's absolutely one thing that I know I just my mindset leans away from. And so I've had to push myself a little bit into doing that with my own decks. That is absolutely a great piece of advice for all deck builders out there. Just take risks when you're learning how to play a deck. Uh, That way you'll know what not to do in the future.
0: Now, I... I've kind of found like doing this little investigatory, like a little introspective (laughs) look at our own decks. That's been really fun looking at the ways that you guys interpret magic and the way that I interpret magic and seeing how different they are. I feel like for me that taking risks idea is definitely one of the things that this deck reveals about me that I I think is very fun. There's a riskiness and a resilience here. Like I'm going to keep bringing back this stuff and I will make strange plays, but they might pay off in the future. And if they do, it's going to be like those are the the things that i get to see that i have a bunch of fun with whereas matt with your raga draga stuff you got to see some very clever stuff that was all in service of the combat step and it spoke to a a just like gleeful delight and with dana we got to see these like a little bit off the wall unusual for these colors with a strategy i thought i was familiar with and it unlocked different ways to access a strategy i thought i knew very well and it turns out he's transformed my understanding of that like this have been fun episodes to do to see the different ways that we each interpret the game and so i appreciate the investigation into my deck here and thank you so much for going on this journey with me i hope we've all learned a lot about each other
2: well i I think it's definitely and i think it's also a useful exercise particularly you know someone like us who have all been brewing decks for a long time um it, it gets very easy to kind of wind up in in a rut Uh, of, of doing the thing that you do. Like even, even if your thing is maybe unique, it's still your thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think it is useful to kind of force yourself to, to look closely at someone else's deck and their thought process just to, that makes you re kind of re-examine your own, I think is useful because I think newer brewers tend to do a lot of like asking of questions about their deck or asking for advice. So they just wind up get, getting those perspectives in a way that maybe we don't because We've been building so long, we just do our thing. So yeah, I, I do think that this this is a very useful thing to do um, for, for all, all kinds of people at, at all stages of the game.
1: Yeah, getting set in your ways is definitely something that you, you need to break free every now and then of. Getting feedback and just... Picking the brain of people, maybe not smarter than you, but just think differently than you even Mm -hmm. is such a fantastic way to do that. Digging into and just sitting with your friends. Okay, how do you do this? I find somebody that you admire that builds really cool decks at your game shop. Pick their brain like, oh, how do you figure out how to put X and Y cards into your deck? How did you come about that? And just understanding how other people do things and then applying it to your own deck building process. That's one thing. I, all three of us, like we've said, have done throughout the course of the show and has come to reflect on our own deck building processes afterwards and then spread to our own playgroups even. And so it's, it's very, very cool to get these dives and just pick each other's brains and go into depth about what are you doing that I'm not doing and what can I learn from it? That's just it's such a fantastic thing that we do in professional settings, too, and, and we get to do it here, too
0: i really like that lesson a lot matt i think a lot of especially very enfranchised magic players are perhaps a little bit more used to the the dynamic of them being the person who someone comes to for advice and sort of like you were saying, not everyone knows how to do it all. I'm very familiar with aristocrats. I don't know the combat step all that well. I don't know her, but you know it very, very well. And for me to enter into Oh, she, she moved of... in with me. That, <laughs> that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but for me to enter into some type of deck construction or something, I'm bringing a certain amount of uh, Golgari baggage in with me about how I expect certain things to go. And I need to be a lot more understanding of like, oh, like my usual understanding of how card advantage works might be related to how many things i tend to sacrifice for example and that's different than matt's relationship with card advantage where he's got a whole bunch of creatures on the board that he has to use those creatures in order to draw cards and he's got to keep them alive in order to win the game and i'm not used to that at all so flipping that script a little bit instead of being the person who someone comes to you for advice you going out to investigate what other people are doing to learn from them as opposed to being the person who folks come to that is the way that you will be better at being able to give advice is if you've done more investigations with other folks' stuff to see how it is that they think. Because the only way that you're going to learn is by doing. And sometimes you can't make all the decks, but other people have lots of decks and you can learn a lot of very strange, small, intricate things from those decks. And they say a lot about the people who built them. So yeah, Matt, I really appreciate that that goal of learning from other people because there's a lot of wisdom that we don't all have access to just yet.
1: Well, Joy, that point was so good. Dean Kamen is currently <laughs> scooting across wow. the, the internet. <laughs> To let you know that we're segueing into the outro joke. Um that's I, I don't know who Dean Kamen is, but Dana <laughs> says he's a real person. And and that means we're we're getting a real segue to to leave the show on.
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. This is the price that I pay for learning how to dad joke properly. Is that this is, this is the, the price control. you pay. I, I hope that
1: like the YouTube has just Dean came in on a segue scooting across the
2: screen. 100%. <laughs> <I think laughs> you
0: know. Okay, well, yes. Yeah, listeners, we, Here hope, we, go. You would, you hope, we hope you enjoyed this this uh, little visitation of our decks and we uh, hope that there are lessons for you to learn from other deep dives into decks out there as well. They're definitely very interesting exercises to see how your decks differ from the data and what you can learn about it from there. But... Yeah, let's call this episode to a close. Fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us to ask about different Segway-tastic things that you're going to steal from me, where is it that they can find you online? Matt?
1: So you can find me on the Twitter, Twitter at Mathemus55, that's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast. We have guests on every single week, and it's always a super fun time, so make sure you tune in for that as well. And Dana.
2: You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, at least for a few weeks longer, CMDR Central. Uh, I'm writing articles for DH Rec. and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRECcast
0: and i'm joey schultz you can find me at joseph m schultz on the onlines and you can find the cast at edh plus if you've got a question for us you can contact us at edh at gmail.com our thanks go out once again to chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show you can find them online at mana curves listeners we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember edh wreck your deck before you wreck your deck